Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Eblin. For this episode, we have an extra special guest and the first family member we've ever had on the show. We're pleased to welcome Kelsey Ebling, Ryan's wife, to talk about Terrence Malick's 2011 masterpiece, The Tree of Life. Kelsey picked this movie as her most recent favorite movie, and we are more than willing to rewatch it. Listeners may recall that The Tree of Life was at the top of both my list and Ryan's list of favorite movies of the last decade, but we've never devoted an entire episode to it. We're excited to hear Kelsey's thoughts on the movie and what it means to her. The Tree of Life made waves simply by announcing its release. It was Terrence Malick's first movie in 13 years and only his fourth in nearly 30 years. Upon its release, critics praised Malick's meditative masterpiece and audiences were mostly intrigued. The Tree of Life was nominated for three Oscars, including Best Director and Best Picture, and won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Malick's creative energy seemed to be restored, releasing four films in the 10 years since The Tree of Life hit theaters. Its Oscar buzz gave it an audience that might not have been interested otherwise, and some who made their ways to the Tree of Life didn't like what they found, prompting some theaters to post signs warning moviegoers of the film's philosophical nature and its non-linear story, and to remind them that they don't get their money back just because they didn't get the movie. Ten years later, is the Tree of Life still favorite movie material? Keep listening. There are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself. Steps being slighted, forgotten, disliked. Accepts insults and injuries. So that's Jessica Chastain as Mrs. O'Brien laying out really the main point of the movie. The, yeah, the, the thing idea. that the movie yeah. kind of tell us right at the, the front. Hey, these, these are the two ideas we're going to be thinking about here. Nature and grace. But we're, we're talking about Tree of Life today. We're excited because we love this movie. But we're even more excited because it's Kelsey's pick. My, my wife Kelsey is here joining us today. Um, only our second guest in this new kind of path we're taking so she's gracious enough to be uh another 
<laughs> guinea pig, a second guinea one? pig. Yeah, <laughs> here to beta tester. Be uh, kind as we fumble through this new format. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so welcome, thanks, Cuz. I feel weird welcoming you since we yeah, drove well, here together. I, but... I can welcome you. Welcome, yeah. welcome to my garage. You know. <laughs> thanks for having me. It's, I'm excited to be here. So in our old format, this is where we would we would kind of talk about our first viewings, things like that. But you know, for these for this episode, we kind of just threw it to you. Like, what movie do you want to talk about? And so um, I guess that makes a more fitting first question. Like, why why this movie? Is it because it's your favorite, or is there some other reason you want to talk about it? Yeah, well, I would say for the last ten years, I would consider this my favorite movie. Because I thought of it as a sort of all-encompassing movie. Like, it just mm. covers all the human emotions, the whole creation of the universe. Yeah. There's no need to make any more movies out right. of this. Yeah, that's how I, I think felt it even, about it. I think it even covers the end of time at, <laughs> right. at one point. Like, it <laughs> literally covers everything. Yeah, so I really felt like I was covering my bases by <laughs> picking this as my favorite. But I was surprised watching it this time that... Maybe it's not my favorite because oh. while it is those things, it's also a very specific story about one family. And I think what I really like about movies is all the different stories you get to learn about and all the different life experiences that you get to learn about through movies and TV. So I don't know if I believe in favorite movies. Mm, okay. okay. Wow, we've already, we've already, you've already reached a revelation. Yeah, uh, just by thinking about it this way. All right, and you're kind of saying you can't really have favorite movies because by having a favorite movie, you're almost limiting mm. the scope of what a movie can be to you, kind of in a way. Is yeah, that kind of what you're saying, or and, and that Tree of Life, even though it is whole encompassing, and maybe that was the reason why you were saying it was a favorite because it just covers so many bases you're realizing now it is actually, even in its own way, still kind of a pretty narrow movie. Is that kind of what you're... I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth. I just want to... Yeah, you know. and I guess in the last couple of years, I've just really appreciated that there are more movies and TV shows about different life experiences. Like, all right, so I normally watch this movie just allowing myself to be immersed in the feelings. And when I was watching it this time with a more critical eye... I was noticing that my feelings were actually veering more towards sadness than mm. I expected. Mm. And normally I just really enjoy all the beautiful imagery and the swelling music. And um, I was noticing more the dynamics between men and women, mm -hmm. between Brad Pitt and J Jessica Chastain, but also on their block, it seems to be. Domestic mm -hmm. violence is prevalent. Mm -hmm. And um, that was trickling down to the next generation with that pack of boys in the neighborhood and the violence that they brought mm -hmm. on their neighbor's garage windows. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it was just making me think, like, is this kind of character the reason why we live in such a patriarchal white supremacist society today? Hmm. I th yeah, and I actually... I kind of caught some of that this time, I think, too. And I think that that was a point maybe being made that I missed. Yeah, uh, I wondered about like, that, too. Like, I actually think that there there's something being said there. Like, it's almost like Malik even is kind of wrestling with that exact idea 
because it is so much about generations and how we pass things down to our children. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is getting passed down from that father doesn't, you know, it's not portrayed in the best light. I think that there's so much we can, we probably will get into uh, about that tonight, you know. Um, Maybe it would be good to kind of back up a little bit and now go back to that question of what was your first time watching this like? So the first time I saw it was in the theater. We went, Ryan and I went to see it together. And I remember leaving the theater thinking like, I have no clue what I just saw, but I know it was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we talked to you about the movie shortly after. Did we? Nate? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. yeah probably. And you said it was good. So I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was good. Oh, boy. That's but, the <laughs> Um, I was really confused walking out of the theater. I I didn't even know who died. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, no. It uh, truth it, be told, it's it, it isn't like totally spelled out. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So then I remember it was nominated for best picture, and we had an Oscars party that year. Oh yeah. And we had food planned around the different movies, so we had we didn't have kids. We potatoes. didn't have kids at this point. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we recreated that now, dinner scene yeah. where he's like eating his yeah, meat. I didn't even realize angrily. this this time around that that was that scene. I was like, oh gosh, that's a little yeah. Wow, dark. That's, so that's I dark. think that's yeah. like how little I realized yeah. how dark this And movie Ryan like can threw be. napkins at everybody <laughs> when you were when when you grabbed Just the meatloaf yeah. and pointed at their lap. <laughs> Yeah, so this movie made an immediate impact on me, but it took a few viewings before I kind of could figure out what was going on and what I actually liked about it. I don't know how many times I've seen it, but we watched, we got the DVD, and then we watched it with my family. Right, and I think that's something, like, we've watched it together a couple times, but I think one thing that we both talked about was we really wanted to kind of watch it with our dads. And I know we watched it with your family. I'm we, and we watched it with my family too, separately. Like it felt like, was this really a window into that mindset, that sort of boomer upbringing? Was this normal? Like how, how much of this is a general story? How specific is this story? I, I feel like there were stories that I heard about my grandpa that I was like, I think my dad would maybe, you know, like not, fully abusive but just like i think my dad might have some things to relate yeah and i guess i wasn't seeing the that aspect of brad pitt's character as much i was seeing like the 1950s children running around Uh, in the streets yeah kind of thing about it so i want to go back so when you saw when you saw it the first time though was this the movie that like ryan was dragging you to go see or were you aware of malik and kind of his thing before that and wanted to see it yourself or you know i don't think i had any idea who terrence malik was i saw days of heaven after yeah Mm -hmm. and then i tried to watch the rachel mcadams one and fell asleep to the wonder wonder. yeah i was really excited about that one but it felt like yeah yeah and was pretty disappointed in it because it didn't feel like it had the story behind it to yeah. really make this quietness matter right, as much. Right. But I also think seeing it in the theater is a completely different experience than seeing it on a TV. Yeah, I'm really grateful for seeing Tree of Life in the theater. So I don't the timing sounds weird to me because somehow we talked about this, but I didn't see it in the theater. I, I had I wasn't able to get there. Oh. I saw this for the first time on Blu-ray. I was very excited for this movie. I'm a huge Malik fan. So I finally I had been 
eagerly waiting to watch this. And our mutual friend Titus was hanging out with us as well. And, and he, you know, he knew who Malik was and he was excited to see it as well. And then my mom and her like random friend who I don't, I don't remember who the friend was even was coming over. And my mom and me watch a lot of movies together. And I was like, you know, up until tree of life, it's the same Malik, but overall it's still pretty linear storytelling yeah. for the most part. And there's actually more like plot like there's things that happen and i didn't think tree of life was gonna be any different um uh, and so i just thought it was gonna be bigger you know and so i we watched it and i could just tell that like i was the only one into it oh no <laughs> titus was pretty into it as well but like i could just tell like my mom and her friend were just like i don't know what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's also a weird movie in that, like, if you're watching this with your parents and you guys, you know, we just talked mm -hmm. about you watched it with your parents, like, it can actually be kind of awkward. And usually, usually when I think of what's the most awkward thing you can watch with your parents, it's probably like a sex scene or something like that. And there's not this in it, but there's just such, to me, like, there's a, there's such a vulnerability mm -hmm. and like, it's hitting areas of like, Malik maybe like wrestling with some of the most shameful things that maybe he experienced as mm -hmm. a boy, you know? And to me, I just was very uncomfortable watching it the first time, even though I could acknowledge that it was brilliant. Like the whole time I was like, this is an amazing movie. I really wish I wasn't watching. I, I kind of wished I was watching it alone, to be yeah. honest. And I think every single time since then, I've always watched it alone. I've never mm -hmm. watched it with another person. Um, I kind of like it that way. It's kind of like my own special kind of mm -hmm. experience. And I do think it's a it's a movie that you can call an experience, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a short movie. So no. it's kind of a lot to ask of someone who doesn't know what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, how much have you seen it since that first time? And what was the viewing that kind of clicked for you? This this is to me? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, the movie clicked right away the first time, but I've kind of made a habit of watching it once a year, um, like during the Lenten season. Mm -hmm. mm. And um, it's always been a, a really enlightening experience. Like I've always found something new to pull out of it, I feel like. Mm. I don't know if you guys can, mm -hmm. can relate. Like if you've had, like Kelsey, have you had like different, you know, even this time you already said that there were different things you kind of pulled out of it. But yeah. has that happened every time you've watched it or? Well, it's been a while since we've seen it. So I was really looking forward to watching it again. Have we I seen it since know. we've had kids? No, I don't think so. So that, that would be definitely a huge, That's different. a huge difference. Yeah. I would say that's the most transformative experience I had was now watching it as a father. Yeah, because I want to be Jessica Chastain so bad, but there's so much Brad Pitt in me. <laughs> Is that the truth? <laughs> okay, so even last week, I yelled at Theo for slamming the screen door. Oh, no. <laughs> Did you, but you didn't make him shut it 50 times. No. Right? No. <laughs> this isn't, yeah, just oh. 10 times. Yeah, I cringed when I saw that. Like, oh my gosh, I am the way of nature. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much that Brad Pitt does that's just like, oh no, oh yep, I've done that. Like I've I've given that look, and I gave that look for the same reason Brad Pitt is giving that look. Mm -hmm. I did it to scare them, or yep. I did it to make them feel ashamed. Oh, we're getting deep already. We can... <laughs> no, I think that's. I mean, we might as well get there, yeah. right? I mean, the movie doesn't waste any time going deep. We might as well too. So <laughs> no, and I want to say, yeah. If, so if we can start talking about the beginning of the movie, I'll 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 just share. For me, I don't remember the movie starting as emotionally as it does. Like I mm. guess I I remember. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this this happens early that we learn that well that the parents learn that the brother died. We have to put that together. Yeah. Eventually, but 
Um, I forget that that speech by Brad Pitt that I made him feel ashamed. I, I, I gave him my shame is there like right at the beginning. Yeah. What I found this time watching it was the fact that he goes straight to a specific from that time in life where he says, I yelled at, I would always yell at him for turning, turning the, the pages for not the turning the pages, the pages yeah. uh, for the piano. If there's anything I pulled from this time watching it, it's that we don't really know what memories are going to last mm-hmm. when we're in the moment. And that it's rarely the ones you think they're going to be like mm-hmm. the birthday parties, the, you know, whatever the big, you know, vacations you take, but the ones that'll really sting you and the ones that'll like stay with you are like these tiny moments that you don't see coming and you don't think anything of them in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think Brad Pitt's character thought much. I mean, he, I think he just thought he was being a good dad, like by being strict, that, that that's like the way he, he was getting them ready for the world. Mm-hmm. And then a tragedy happens that he can't make sense of. And he's like, why did I waste my time with yeah. him? Focusing on that, you know, and it, and that's where the sadness I think you were talking about. Like, it is a very sad movie in that mm-hmm. way. And I think as a parent, what makes it to me a, a incredibly special movie is that it's actually life changing. I am a better parent every time after I watch this movie. I watch this movie and I say, I'm going to choose to parent a little differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, and like you were saying with the little moments that our kids will remember of us snipping back at them. It's the same with the loving moments that are going to be just the little everyday ways that we care for our kids that they'll really remember and not the grand gestures. When you were talking about the first time you watched it, how what you remembered was like the kids playing and the joyful parts and that what Malik in particular decides to highlight are things like lighting sparklers in summer and running not anywhere crazy like you know through a mountain or it's just like running down your street yeah and, right you know and like the sounds of summer like just yeah. the, mm-hmm. oh, this man. very <laughs> yeah sound summer this is one. my season that <laughs> yeah. is when i come alive so that is a very big aspect of why i love this movie and before we watch this the two things i would say that i would recall from the movie were the mom reading the tale of peter rabbit mm-hmm. to like about And don't go in Mr. McGregor's garden. Mm -hmm. Your father had an accident there. I've read that book to our kids so much. And my mom, I only remember my mom reading us Beatrix Potter books Mm. when I was a kid. My dears, said old Miss Rabbit one morning, you may go into the fields or down the lane. Don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. Father had an accident there. And um, the other thing I remember is the middle son playing the guitar with his dad Hmm. while he's playing the piano. That is my favorite scene. And it's just beautiful music. There's beautiful music throughout. So it's just like... It's like a feast for the ears, a feast for the eyes. <laughs> it is. Yeah, depending on whether you're feeling the joy of the movie or the sadness, it's a feast for the soul, too. Like, And not just the music, which opened me up to music I should have been familiar with and like aware of already, but um, the sound design. This time, I really noticed it, where there's stuff buried deep in it, that there's the sounds of summer, 
Um, there's also times where it's super quiet, where you think it should be loud. Like the a, a cha- chaotic scenes tend to be mute. Like early on, like she gets the telegram and she's not making sound, not making sound, not making sound. And then she makes this scream that cuts immediately to an airplane. It feels like he's using the sound there to disrupt you. Early on in this movie, here's a death of a person you had no idea about. And it's not so much about how he died or who he is, but it's about this disruption, this mm. way that this upends everything. And then Brad Pitt's on the phone trying to talk. He can't really hear this. And then everything goes quiet, but we're still by the plane. And like, then it stays quiet, but there's a scene where we're looking up at the tree, which I guess is the tree of life that like, if there is a literal tree of life in this movie. Um, and it just in the background, you hear really quietly, Jessica Chastain screaming. Mm. And it's mm, just yes, like, I, yeah. it's, it's just, it, it's so strange what it does with sound. He is, I don't know, it, it feels like the whole movie plays like a memory. And memories, you might not remember exactly what people said or how something sounded, but there might be like, I'll never forget that scream or like the sound she made when she found out that someone, died. you know, like. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. I feel like, and I've, I've, remember even the first time watching it trying to put words to what the movie was like and i was like the movie plays like your memory of watching a movie (laughs) like when you remember a movie you remember it in piecemeal and you remember parts that you like and this is just like a linear representation of that which is very (laughs) non-linear and it's also like memory and like exactly what you said like it, it to make a movie that's cinematically and it could only be done cinematically functions like memory is just this really crazy thing that I almost can't believe he pulls off. Right. And that's just the small story. And then you right. add in the cosmos right. and all of that stuff. And you're like, how the hell is he doing this? You know? And it's not just him. There's, you know, right. obviously his editor who he's worked with has had to learn how to speak Malik. <laughs> Can and, you imagine? And, and like, you know, Chivo as the cinematographer, yeah. um, Emmanuel Ozbetsky, and the way he has to kind of translate the imagery into something that can actually be as beautiful as what Malik wants it to be. Yeah. But what you get is this thing that I, I still, every time I watch it, I just can't believe it exists, you know? Right. Mm, yeah, that you guys talking about memory makes me think of the scene where a bunch of people were consoling the mom mm-hmm. and those crazy, like, the one woman, I think it's supposed to be her mom. It is, yeah, and it is And she's to be. saying, well, you still have two other kids. Don't be sad. But that feels like the kind of thing that would just replay in your mind. Like, yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't be sad because I have two other kids. But that's the haunting kind of memory that yeah. they kind of capture. Yeah, I, yeah. We, we look at that, like somebody saying that, and it's like, that was so wrong. That is so huge. But to that person, they might not remember they said it. And like, that sort of thing. It's... He is able to convey this is a heavy memory and this is kind of a fleeting memory. I actually show that scene to my my philosophy and film class pretty often when we talk about the problem of evil and like how does the way people console people speak to what we think about the role of pain in our lives mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and that the role of pain is to get it out. <laughs> and you kind of see Jessica Chastain feeling like this feels wrong to just move past it. And um, I think that's one of the beautiful things that the movie does with that last part is that moving on includes remembering and like kind of living with the past, not just forgetting it, not just getting rid of it and trying to cut out the, the, the sad parts. You know, that's interesting that you use that little scene as talking about the problem of evil, because I feel like the kind of 
third act or so of the movie is like really kind of talking about that whole idea of like innocence lost. Yeah. But I was paying a lot more attention to the music this time. So I hope I don't go too far down a rabbit hole. But in the sort of creation of the cosmos scene, there's this amazing piece of music called Lacrimosa by a Polish conductor and composer named Zbigniew Prisoner. I, I probably butchered that really bad, but I'll put it in the show notes if anyone wants to look it up. That song is really incredible, though. I mean, it's just, especially when you've got the sound up, that will just, like, yeah. blow yeah, you right. away. Fast forward later in the movie, and the part where the boy has been wrestling inside with who he's becoming mm-hmm. for a while. And for a little bit in the movie, he's almost accepting it. Like, this is just going to be who I am. He hits his brother's finger with a right. BB gun, and it's silent. After that, you see genuine remorse. Right. And I'm guessing it's Alexander Desplat who did the rest of the music in the movie, the original music. He plays that melody on a piano solo. Hmm. And I feel like there's an intention there of connecting those two things. Hmm. But it's all connected, the macro and the micro, that something as big as the Big Bang is just as important as a little boy realizing that grace is important yeah. and that he can actually live that out. I mean, it's just an incra- a crazy circular thing that the movie does. Yeah, and I feel like the music was used in a way to make the world all feel like church. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember one of the first music things I noted was that choral music came in and it just made the natural world feel like God's sanctuary. Yeah, I liked how they showed the mom walking through the woods as sort of part of her healing journey. Yeah. It felt like. And the dad too, like right after he gives his speech about shame, he walks in the woods too. But we're not following him. He's far away. So it kind of, and he's just kind of meandering and looking around. I, I kind of wonder if he's kind of like lost in nature, whereas she is like purposefully in, at home walking. in nature. Like, yeah. because to use the word nature as the opposite of grace is really loaded. When there's so much nature. Right. In it. Yeah. Right. I thought that too. Like, Malik is someone who you would think would find so much grace in nature. Well, here's what I mean. And then he, he actually personifies nature as the more oppressive and right. the more like survivalist mentality. Here's how I, I, I started seeing it this time around is that nature and grace are not separate fully ever. They are, they are two paths, they are two tendencies. But I've, I've talked about it before in this podcast, in conversations. I think one of the most profound things I've seen in a movie is when Jessica Chastain, in her grief, prays to God, where were you? Mm. And God's answer goes back to the beginning of creation. Like, oh, that's a big question. It's a big answer. Where have I been? Well, let me start before there was anything. <laughs> like, I was there. And that should be a somewhat comforting thought. It could also be a troubling thought that says, you've been here this whole time and you let this happen. But... Like the answer comes as this sort of like comforting thing. I was, I was here and I created nature as an act of grace. 
I wanted you here. So I created you. Nature doesn't exist without grace. So there has always been grace here. And there's grace natural to us. Grace is our nature. When you see that dinosaur who decides not to further cause the suffering of another dinosaur, even though nature would say, you're a predator and prey. This isn't even a moral issue, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the birth of compassion we see. Whereas, and it's, I want to, uh, my thoughts are really jumping here. So good luck editing this or just like stick I'm not going to edit it. It's going to be like the tree of life. It's good. just going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to make sense of it impressionistically. Because That's, uh, that. that... going to be a lot of silence in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that, that, I, that he got the guy who made the 2001 Space Odyssey special effects to do this. There's so much comparison that arises when you see the creation sequence with 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sequence is sort of like the degradation of creation, the devolution into violence. But for Tree of Life, it's here's where c- compassion was born. And so it isn't just that nature and grace are opposites and they're in conflict, but that nature and grace were created together. Like two sides of the same coin. Almost. Sort of. But that grace is found in nature, like the healing element of nature, that, that there is that to it, that nature is where we can find that grace, because that was where God first kind of reached out to creation. Obviously, he created it and sort of, but then that nature also has a side to it that ignores grace or, or runs counter to grace. But then that behavior always needs grace, right? Like, yes, shooting his brother with the BB gun was that act of nature, but it gave way to that character's most important moment of grace, too. And I see that in the mother and the father, too, because there was a moment, I can't remember exactly what it was, but where the son is watching the dad and just kind of like scowling at him. But then he sees his mom loving him. And it's sort of like grace makes nature lovable. <laughs> like grace kind of vouches for nature, like says, no, there's, there's, there's something in nature to save. There's something in nature that can heal. There's something in nature that is beautiful. There's something in that man that loves. There's something in that man that is broken and hurt, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be fixed with more nature. It's going to be fixed with grace. And so the mom is fixing it and validating it. And you can get into like troubling gender dynamics with that too, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. to say that it's the wife's role in this movie to put up with that and to heal it. But if I'm taking that out of it, still, that's, what's, that's what came to me in this movie so much, is that nature isn't the opposite of grace. Nature needs grace. And nature, nature is an outflow of grace on some level. Would you, would you say the opposite, that grace needs nature? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, because you can't have compassion without somebody suffering, right? You can't have forgiveness, which is a beautiful thing, unless somebody sins or or causes you harm. So yeah, I guess I would say that. Yeah. Can I ask, because you you brought up the gender dynamics, and I want to ask this to Kelsey, and and that is, in a way, I'm kind of surprised that this would be kind of one of your favorite movies, because to me, it was such a boy movie in a way like jessica chastain obviously is a main character in this but she's the mother character and you're really kind of getting a lot of this movie from you a male know gaze. A, a male gaze exactly and and i think admittedly so like i think malik is sort of like channeling a lot of his own it feels like malik is processing a lot of stuff through this movie and how his male gaze got developed yeah almost yeah and so yeah well yeah there's even scenes of that you know right. specifically but um i guess i'm just wondering like you know 
you're probably not resonating with the boy character in the same way I am when I watch it. Like I'm thinking of my own boyhood when I watch it. What are you thinking of when you're watching these boyhood moments? Yeah, well, maybe that's why I had a reaction of sadness more so this Mm. time because I didn't really realize that. I was so caught up in the beauty and the music. And I think the middle brother has Mm. a lot of feminine characteristics and I kind of identify more with him. I mean, I was enjoying it more for the creation of the cosmos <laughs> aspects of it more so than the actual story of the family. Cause I really, I think I like movies for how they make me feel and visuals are big for mm-hmm. me when I enjoy a movie or don't enjoy a movie. So obviously this movie is, great in the visual department maybe one of the best ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've never thought of it as a boy movie but i'm sure that you do experience the movie differently Mm -hmm. than i do i mean we talked about it topped our best of the decade last in our in our episode but for me it was because it was such a personal experience like i i resonated with it in the sense of i've had that feeling i've 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 been in that situation. I have a brother that I mistreated and I know the shame that comes with that. I have a father who was very strict in a lot of ways. I don't know if you're going to listen to this podcast or not, so I'm not going to get into too many details. But like, <laughs> but even though what you're seeing is very specific to this family, there's feelings that are created out of those situations that I could immediately draw to a specific memory I had that did the exact same thing. And so I guess I'm wondering if, is, is that a boy thing or were you able to do that too? Like, because I do think this movie wants you to project and think about your own life a little bit. In what ways does it make you think about like your experience in your life? And I don't, you don't need to get personal, but I just wonder if it even has that experience for you, you know? Yeah. Well, I definitely had that childhood where all the neighborhood kids were just running around together as a pack and I loved it. This brought back a lot of those positive childhood memories for me. I identify with that. Um, Well, I don't think the movie has to tell everybody's story because I was also wondering what... um, So they have some depictions of the black community Mm -hmm. in this movie, but it's obviously very segregated society. And so they go get some barbecue after church Mm -hmm. in a black neighborhood and then when they're when they have a scene of the kids at school, it's only white kids in the playground. Mm-hmm. Also, in the beginning, a black woman is holding her hands, right. and I wonder if there's anything they're trying to say about race in this movie, or if it's just like we don't want to act like black people didn't exist in this community, or what? Or if it's just the memory of a white boy, and like I remember one time my dad took us to yeah this, and his dad, you know, his dad. That's out of their way, yeah. You know, and I I noticed the because se- I, I I wondered about that scene too. But I noticed the sequence. I I kind of made note. There's a sermon on Job, how like Job didn't do anything to deserve like anything bad. This wasn't a punishment for for bad things. This bad things happen to people. Then his dad is driving around talking about how like unfair life is. He's kind of giving him that lesson. And then they go to the black neighborhood and get the barbecue. And then his dad teaches him how to fight. And I don't know necessarily what to make it. Like, I haven't fully kind of gone back to look at, well, what does the Job sermon really say? What is his dad saying? Does that, that, are, that are parallel or anything like that? But it seems like this idea that, like, 
you can't blame people for their issues. But then his dad kind of does blame the world for the way he's being treated. Then at the same time, he goes to people who are treated way worse than him. Yep. And doesn't really interact with them. Like the boys kind of just, you know, they're there and they're kind of walking around. And then the dad teaches him how to fight. Yeah. And I think that it could be saying something about race. It could be like a lot in this movie where it's like, it's saying what you get out of it. And it's just kind of depicting the reality of what maybe it was Malik's childhood was like. Maybe it was just a sort of generic, like this is what it would have been like to grow up as a white family in a segregated town. But there's a lot in this movie of, I think, depicting your memory of when you first realized something. I'm wondering if that might even be the first time he kind of noticed that there's differences Mm -hmm. in skin Mm. color. And I, I remember as a boy when I noticed it. And there's other pieces like that in the movie too. Like the first time he sees someone like, you know, getting arrested or like right. when, when he sees someone who um, has a disability, the, you know. And the boy um, with the scar from the burn. And the burn, you the know, there's a, this movie has that impressionistic feel of like, these are also the memories that you're going to carry are like the first time where you just noticed differences and didn't know how to process that. And yeah. it kind of created a jarring sense for you. That you realize that not everybody looks like you or lives like you yes. or experiences yeah. the world the way you do. Yeah, and I've been thinking more about your question earlier. <laughs> and I think it's true that this movie kind of loses me for the last third of it. Mm. I got kind of bored <laughs> watching it last night um, because I don't think it's really relatable for me. It's not my experience. And there are a lot of things about childhood that I can relate to in it, but I think the last third kind of hones in on boyhood Mm -hmm. in particular and so what i love most about the movie is what it says about god Mm -hmm. and the world he created i think one of my favorite well one thing i noticed was in the scenes of the cosmos being created you're like seeing these things that you're not really sure what they are but you're pretty sure that it's big (laughs) <laughs> and then there's also scenes of just like minutia, like cellular level, yeah, yeah, cell division and atoms and um, and it's I thought it was cool how they're just like placed right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Like God created this gigantic thing that we can't even wrap our minds around, and he that giganticness is inside each one of our cells yeah. too. Like, that's an answer to where were you? Yeah. yeah. Like, I care so much about you. I put the universe inside every <laughs> single cell of your body. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is fascinating. I really liked the cut from the downtown skyscrapers and then immediately to those caves with those, like, oh, yeah. undulating yep. walls mm-hmm. and how, like, we think we can make something so impressive when this cave is just naturally yeah. there and yeah. we could never recreate those curves right. in a building. Yeah. Yeah. Or even that what we create is inspired by nature, you know, that what mm. the best we can do is kind of imitate what that is. Yeah. Know? Like, yeah. The, the number of shots of the buildings reflecting the sky. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's why it makes that building beautiful because it's reflecting the sky or this view because we can see a tree through it, but also the metal great, like the barrier between yeah, the, mm-hmm. the the glass, the 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 frame, all of that. A lot of the time, I felt like in the city scenes, yeah, we're showing you a tree, but we're showing it you through it a bunch of frames. Yep. Or here's the sky, but only a sliver between mm-hmm. two buildings, and like 
the kind of barrier that his world, which is, I mean, honestly, this time it was a little bit like stock footage of a workaholic business life, <laughs> like <laughs> plans, sitting in a chair, <laughs> tired, conference room, like, I, but like still just like, this is what quote unquote nature is now. Like this is the nature, the negative yeah. side of nature here. Yeah. This competitive, this um, disconnected sort of thing. Mm. And nature is trying to break through. Nature is reflected in all this. Our best efforts at this is to reflect nature and that sort of thing. So one thing I noticed about the way architecture is used in the movie is the buildings that they show in the 1950s and 1960s always have the windows open. There's always a breeze. The curtains are blowing. And there's so much... Nature and yeah, flowing in and out of the right. house. Yeah. yeah, there's not a barrier, like you were saying, with the skyscrapers. So... Um, like Sean Penn, one of his first lines is, how did I lose you? And maybe spending too much time inside. <laughs> how did I lose you? Wandered. Forgot you. There's a point where he comes outside and he sees a tree. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's got a chain metal fence around it too. So it's even still got that sort of like hampered in by man. Like I think kinda. it's going to be planted. Is yeah. that right? Or is that a different Maybe time? Maybe that's know. it. And maybe we should talk about like the tree of life. And like it seems like that tree kind of sparks a memory for him of this tree that they played a lot in, you know, growing up. And then the tree of life itself being just sort of a general term that finds itself in a lot of world religions seeing a tree can like take you back to like the tree of your boyhood or mm-hmm. your childhood. And that that's a function almost of nature is to kind of keep taking you back because nature is pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change that much, you know? So buildings can change, location can change, but it can take something like a tree to kind of ground you and can make you go through, like meditate on your entire life, you right. know? And how all the, all the nature in, in Jack's adult life is boxed in and um contained i don't know if i'm making too 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 big of a stretch here um but i I noticed there's like their father's kind of strict religious vision of god there's the sermons there's the religious music but then there's also very experiential view kind of of god that his mom is a side of god and his dad is a side of god um and like that scene where his mom is like floating. Oh, you know? I love that scene. And yeah. like she is supernatural to them. Um, and so just like nature is kind of contained in the Jack's adult life, God is kind of contained in the strictures of religion and like all of that. But there's like this reaching out to God or spirituality or like the connectedness that keeps happening. And I think again a sound thing the whispered prayers are like the most honest versions of people's reaching for god and the time that i really noticed it is when jack is on his knees praying help me not to stress my dad help me not to get dogs and fights
be thankful for everything I've got. Where do you live? Help me not to lies. Praying these very like rote, kind rote, of, yeah. yeah, like what you should be praying, yeah, but also very like fix my fix me because I'm I'm bad. But then throughout, there's whispered prayers, and so he's like he's got this desire for God where he's like, I just want to play with you. I just want to like climb that tree. I want to run in that field. That I want to find the grace in nature that way. Like there's this part of God that he knows isn't in that prayer. Because that's what he's saying out loud, but he's whispering this like more innocent, curious, playful sort of prayer um, that gets lost. It gets kind of beaten out of him. And then he ends up seeing his dad sort of in that way. And then there's whispered sort of prayers to his dad where he says, why should I be good if you aren't? And like that, you can see that vision of God change. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because honestly, I think it kind of becomes the same thing. It does, I think so too. And I think because he says that after he sees, he doesn't say that after he sees something his father does. He sees that after he sees the burn victim. No, it's after the boy drowns. Well, there's that. Yeah. But I think he also sees like the, the burn victim too in like, a, in like a quick cut. He puts those two together and kind of says, why should I be good if you aren't? Yeah. You know, it's after he sees something that, again, kind of tying it to the cosmos that like cosmologically has gone wrong. Yeah. You know. I was just thinking about when his dad is asking him why the grass isn't growing under the tree. Mm-hmm. And he says, because it's under a tree. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of the same, like, why are these people getting hurt? Or why did this boy have to die? Because it's the way of the universe. Yeah. Like, there's not really any other answer for it. Yeah. But there's this sense in the father that you can, like, beat your way out of that. Yeah. And it's interesting that Malik would sort of tie that to like trying to get grass to grow where it shouldn't grow. And that, that, but that's a symbol of success. And it even is to this day in suburbia. Like yeah. it's a symbol of success to have a good lawn, you know? Well, yeah. When it's really unnatural. He spends so much time on that lawn and <laughs> in it the movie, like you know, and it, it yeah. never looks good. <laughs> yeah. And he's always wondering why the neighbors looks better, you yeah. know? Yeah. And there is that aspect of him and his nature of saying like, yeah, the the world isn't a good place, but if you work hard enough, like right. if you if you exert enough energy and you are cold enough and think about yourself and the survival aspect of it, you can beat it back, basically. Right. You know? Which is his view of his sons, too. If I can get them to turn the pages right or close the door right yep. or be quiet at dinner, I will be a good father. Yeah. I will raise good children. Like the, all these things that aren't really the point. It's interesting. I think I cried harder at this movie this time than I ever have. Hmm. But there's a scene where the father is, he's broken. Like it's the last time he, it was his last big push to get patents and like kind of take control of his destiny. It didn't work. And he's reflecting on the way he screwed up otherwise, the way he screwed up at home. And he says, I dishonored it all and ignored the glory. And that is like 
I just, that that phrasing is so gives me so much to think about. That's what we do with our kids every time we focus on the way they slam the door, the way they turn the pages, the way they do everything. We're dishonoring everything when we do that mm-hmm. because we're ignoring any of the glory of who they are as, as people. And the same thing with this yard, with nature. Like You're dishonoring all of nature by trying to control this part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the glory is just the there for right. the taking. It is, like, yeah. There's no doing to mm-hmm. create it. Right. Well, and he, I think he even has that realization, and I think it's right around that moment where he's walking with his son and he kind of says, mm-hmm. you're the only... You're all I have. You're all I have. You're and, all and I want to have. And then the movie's not simplistic enough right. to say that he it changed forever. Because the next, the, almost the next scene is them moving away and he's on his kid's case about not, of not carrying the, the briefcase right. or the suitcase fast enough, you know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just this, this whole movie is like revelations and then like falling back into old patterns and then revelations again and falling mm-hmm. back into old patterns. Jessica Chastain says something towards the end about love being the point. I didn't write it down, but I was like, Okay, that sums it up. She says, uh, help each other, love everyone, every leaf, every ray of light, forgive. Yeah, forgive. That word hit me like, yeah. That, like, that's the culmination of those things, right? Like love everyone, every leaf, every ray of life. Like to bring it back to nature, forgive. The extension of that love of creation, but also the nature in people is forgiving and extending grace to it. And you do need to foster it. You Like, nature will happen. The weeds will grow. But how do you develop grace in, in, in your life? Um, I'm curious. You said, so you said you cried more than you've ever cried. Oh. So are there other parts that you cried in this movie? Uh, well, the end, the kind of afterlife, I guess, yeah. sort of scene. Yeah. Just the, the, what was happening in that scene hit me for the first time. Like, I don't think I had ever really, really put together what's significant about seeing your younger self there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow, we are everything we've ever been, you know? And all of that will be redeemed. And like, we will come to peace with every per- everything we've been. The things that embarrass us, the things that we wish we could go back to, the things that we don't like that we've become, the ways we've grown, all of that will mm-hmm. come together and be at peace. I love how he holds his younger brother. Like yes. he actually gets to he gets to pick up his yes. his younger brother. So yeah. Mm. So as that sort of profundity was hitting me that we're making peace with ourselves, then the middle brother shows up. And he's always been so endearing. We see more bad stuff happen to him, I think, than any of the other kids. But also, whenever we see bad stuff happen to him, the way that that, that kid carries that, the look of hurt. Yeah, yeah. Betrayal. Is, yeah. yeah, he is so effective at that. And to see the people at peace be able to make peace with him. And I was straight up crying, not yeah. tearing up, when Brad Pitt picked him up. Yeah. And to be a parent and think if I lose my child that I will be able to like hold them again and like... Well, hold them at any point that you want to because this isn't 19-year-old him. Right. This is him <laughs> in that moment and you get to decide sort of like what moment you redeem of someone right. you know, in that afterlife sequence. And you know, if you believe in an afterlife, that's something to be hopeful for. But I think there's also something where even if you don't believe in an afterlife, within yourself, you can even try to make amends yeah. with your memories of right. 
bad memories, good memories that you have of people that are kind of stuck in that moment in your mind. Right. Whether you see it as like an actual representation of the afterlife in this movie, or it's just sort of the peace that you can achieve with your yourself and and the people in your life. You know, I always get a little choked up on subsequent views because you know where it goes. Yeah. At the very beginning when Brad Pitt just says, um, my poor boy. So yeah, when you get to see him, like actually get to hold the child, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, such a hardened person to be able to do that is mm-hmm. a very special thing. There's just such a beautiful healing <laughs> that happens at the end. I've gotten more emotional in this movie as a parent, and I'm wondering, Kelsey, if is there is there a different way you've watched this as a mother now that you've watched? Because you weren't a mother when you watched it the first time, and you are now. Yeah, you know? I think I wasn't really letting myself get wrapped up emotionally last night when we were watching it. I think I was just like oh man, I gotta have some things to say about this movie. (laughs) Like, it's just such an experiential movie for me that I don't really know how to put words to it. I mean, I think I would like to watch it again in a year without knowing that I would be (laughs) to talk about it Well, let's let's plan on having a conversation in a year. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I just didn't have the feelings that I have had in the past. And, um... I was recognizing the ways of grace and nature that I have inside Mm -hmm. myself. And it was inspiring to want to be a parent with grace. Mm -hmm. As a mother, how do you feel about the Jessica Chastain character? Like, do you think she's treated fairly in the movie? Do you? Oh, think, I think like, she's completely unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there you go. That's that's kind of what I wanted to get into a little bit is like this yeah, specific, like, you know, so yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I just, I thought I would be that kind of mom before yeah. I was one. Well, I don't think she actually is that kind of mom. This is a child's memory of somebody who deified her yeah, as that's well. True. What struck me was how, and you could you could definitely look at this through a feminist criticism lens. How little she talks throughout the movie. She really doesn't have much to say to Brad Pitt in the movie. Do I think that means they never actually talked? No. <laughs> you know, how often do we have conversations without our kids in the room? Like, we talk about so much more than our kids ever see. But I also wonder how much of it kind of goes to that sort of like, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote, like, people will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how they made you feel. And whatever their mom said or whatever ways that she wasn't perfect paled in comparison to the ways that she did make them feel like they were who they were supposed to be, kind of. So I don't know if it's an unrealistic portrayal of a mother as much as it's a realistic portrayal of how a mother is remembered by a child who saw his mother float you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i was thinking too like and maybe this is me over stereotyping but i feel like the boy's loss of innocence like another part of his moral awakening is like oh i can i can do anything Mm -hmm. you can try stuff i think is what one of the kids says or right yeah. yeah something like that and like i can run around and tie a frog to a rocket and like oh, there aren't any checks on me. And so without those guardrails, do I make the right choice is sort of his innocence reckoning. I don't know if this is over-stereotyping or over-generalizing the experience of women, but it seems like if I were to imagine this story of a girl's kind of similar questioning, it would be a little bit more about, oh, I, 
I am like the world does limit me. Like there are ways that I am observed and there are ways that I am seen that I can't just do anything and have it be like consequenceless or or something. Does that does that feel like that would be one of the ways that the movie isn't for everybody or or a universal story? I don't know if that if that's making sense. Like I'm, I'm trying. I'm not yeah, trying to say I've like a woman realizing she's oppressed. I can do anything. Yeah, I don't. That's completely foreign to me. So I didn't even really pick that up from the movie that he was feeling that way. I think that's the whole idea of the gang of boys. Right. You know, the gang yeah. of boys is basically saying like we can kind of own things. We can kind of just do what we want to do. Yeah, the gang of boys was very disturbing to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. I hated what they did to that frog. Yeah. And the window. <laughs> but again, I have a memory. It's not exactly that. And I'm not the one that did it, but I was with boys and, you know, we were in the woods and one of them just hacked up a snake, you know, like just because they could. I don't know how universal it is or not, but for me, I was like, wow, this is depicting things and, and, and processing them. That's the important thing. It's not just depicting them. I think Malik is definitely like, I want you to sit with, I want you to be uncomfortable with this, mm-hmm. you know. In a, in a way, the way that our moral our morality is shaped is fairly universal that we see lines being crossed and we don't like it (laughs) or we do cross a line and we don't like the way that feels and that just sort of shapes things yeah i really never thought of tree of life in these kinds of terms before like how strongly you guys identify with it as men and how much it resembles your childhoods as boys for me it was all about the like Big mm-hmm. picture, mm-hmm. world God created, how he feels about us as his creation. So I, I do think that the Terrence Malick is telling somewhat of an autobiographical story and definitely saying specifically the way that we interact with God and creation and everything, look at it on this micro level of a boy and drawing from the very specific experiences of a boy. But I also think the movie is meant to be seen the way that you you see it which is one this is beautiful like enjoy the beauty of this while it's happening but also the world has beauty and like yeah exactly what you were saying that what what we what it says about god and our interaction with him is still all there well i really do like just it feels like very organic moments that mm-hmm. he's able to capture uh, like all of the scenes of the kids running around together just childhood it just feels so relatable i that's how childhood felt to me. Mm-hmm. And the light coming in on like a bassinet and mm-hmm. those kinds of scenes like are just beautiful and awe-filled. He makes it seem so real without making it feel like you're intruding on something. Like it doesn't feel like you're watching a documentary. You know, it's like this is a movie. This is a memory. But this is so real too. Like I don't know that... That is what just astounds me about this movie. He maintains a, le- a, 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 le- a layer of artifice when he needs to. Well, and it's interesting you say that because he could have done a documentary approach. Right. But it's not, and, it, and it's important that it's not because that wouldn't feel like memory. Right. Like memory, That's what I'm saying. Memory like, has a glossed over feel to it. Like yeah. Your, your memories are probably better lit than they were, like, when, yeah. you were when you were there, you know? And uh, not only that, like, I feel like... It was they they used kind of like a fisheye sort of lens to sort of distort some of the younger memories too. I feel like that is true. The world 
in my memory as a kid, the world came so much faster. Like the world comes at you so much faster. You feel like you're running so fast, sort of. Like mm-hmm. there's there's like I, I just feel like he captured what a memory looks like in your head. Yep. Well, especially when you've got the little kid dealing with like older people, like the, the mm. fisheye lens, like in the attic and like, you <laughs> and know, the, the old, the, the old relatives, it's like, we'll be back to <laughs> oh, see you yeah. in five years. <laughs> the way that that was like, as an adult, you look at that and you're like, oh, that guy is really gentle, but it's also very scary. Like <laughs> yeah. he just gets these dual feelings in those childhood memories of either like the pure joy of something mundane or the kind of scary thing about something that you know is actually very sweet. And, um, you know, some of that's just nuts and bolts. The camera's at about eye level of a toddler, right? But like other things, I don't know how he does it. It feels like there's just some sort of touch on those scenes that make them perfect memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably an Instagram filter. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Just put Nashville on all of it. So how about this? I have a question. So now that you've watched Tree of Life and feel the way that you do about it now, if we went up to you again and you could kind of go back in time and we said, is there any movie that you would want to discuss on the podcast? Do you think it would still be Tree of Life? Like, are you glad like this was a helpful thing or do you feel like you would have probably tried to pick a different movie, you know, after you have after watching it? Yeah, I would have picked Parent Trap. <laughs> <laughs> Which one, though? That's the question. Oh. <laughs> the Lindsay Lohan yeah, one. Yeah, course, we just watched that this yeah, past week, we and I really loved it. <laughs> I thought that movie, I liked it more as an adult than I did, I think, when I was a kid, actually, when I watched it. Yeah, but. I was feeling, like, just a little under the weather, so I wanted something comforting, and it, like, hit the spot. It. That's yeah. absolutely right. Okay, but no, I... So join us next time when... Yeah, uh, next back to Dark Parent Trap. <laughs> no, I really did appreciate this conversation. I think um, I hadn't really thought about the memories as mm. as like a big of a place that it is in the movie. And I think that is really true. And how if you look at the movie through that lens, how a, a boy is experiencing his childhood, it makes a lot more sense as a movie. So at the, at the beginning, you kind of said like during the rewatch recently you were kind of like oh yeah i don't i don't think i like this movie as much as i did do you having talked about it do you feel less strongly like that even if it's not like i would still call this my favorite movie do you still do you feel like or do you just feel like this is nate and ryan's movie i kind (laughs) of came into this conversation just feeling a little down on the movie like hmm, I, i don't know if i really like this one as much as i have thought in the past but through our conversation i think yeah, I feel more positively about the movie. And you said you would want to watch it again, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I still do really like the movie and yeah. appreciate it. It's not a major turnaround. It's not and like- I think it's it's just, it was interesting to me to learn how we experience it differently. Mm-hmm. And what I valued from talking to you about it was that, like, kind of putting me back into that place of, like, Oh yeah, the movie is just great because of the imagery and the the co- the more cosmos like level kind of stuff it's doing. Yeah. You know that that <laughs> I was almost on the other end. Like I was focusing too much on the kind of boyhood aspect of it, and the movie lends itself to so many different types of experiences and interpretations. You know, it's one of those, one of its perks, I think. 
All right. Well, it sounds like we worked that can we still be friends magic and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and made you friends? find us. We are <laughs> still friends. Yeah. Right, I do hope that last question wasn't like, please tell us that you <laughs> like talking to us. <laughs> no, it was more like you're, we're still married. <laughs> right, right. Are we still married? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. All right, well, uh, Ryan, why don't we uh, go ahead and talk about what we're going to do in our next episode? Yeah. Can we still be friends? Well, we're continuing. We're, we're, we're keeping on with this, having a guest and having them pick the movie thing. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Only done it twice. <laughs> but the two times, it's been Not a lot of fun. Dynamite. A lot of fun. Yeah. And so um, we're going to have another one of our friends on. He is someone who has been on the show before. He was here to talk about The Fast and the Furious. Which, since he came on, he sold that me changed that. you. That, that, that changed you. I am like such a Fast and the Furious fan now, and I like I can't wait for the number nine to come out. Maybe, maybe I'll try more Fast and the Furious movies. Go back through the archives, find find that episode because then you'll love Fast and the Furious, and you'll thank me later for it. And well, Phil, you'll thank especially. Phil, yeah. our guest. I don't think we've named him. We haven't said who he is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, our friend yeah. Phil Vickers is going to be on uh, to talk to us about a movie that means a lot to him. Although his love for it goes. Farther back. back. Than Fast and the Furious. Than Fast yeah. and the Furious or than Tree yeah. of Life from 1986. Going back to the 80s. Maybe one of what has proven to be one of the quintessential 80s movies. I think so. Do you remember that show, uh, I Love the 80s on VH1? Of course. They talked about this. Of course. Of course they did. It could have been its own episode. <laughs> it would have been a to cancel the show if they didn't talk about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's got David Bowie. Okay, yeah, you just gave it away there, I think. Maybe. Maybe not, though, because there's, there's other Bowie There are the other Bowie movies. Uh, it's got a young Jennifer Connelly. And here, this will really give it away. It's got Jim Henson Creature Creations. Name that movie. Labyrinth. There it is. That's it. <laughs> it was a... I had a hard time with we both Tree of Life and Labyrinth with remembering if it was the Tree of Life or Tree of Life. And for this, if it's the Labyrinth or Labyrinth. I, I, let, me, let me quiz me. It's the Tree of Life. Okay. Yeah. It's just labyrinth. Man, perfect score. Way to go. Hundred <laughs> percent. Is it the Fast and the Furious or Fast oh, and the Furious? Damn it. Um, You're a fan. It's the Fast and the Furious, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, so we're doing Labyrinth with Phil. Phil uh, told us this is a, a big movie from his childhood. Mm-hmm. Also, one of Jim Henson's first forays into feature film, right? Like as a director. Well, does I? This dark, is where I don't crystal? know. This is this. We're gonna have to ask Phil about this because this yeah, is where I don't. We're not know, looking it up. This is. Where, no, I'm not looking it up for sure. But this is where, like, I don't know where like the Muppets fit in with all of this. Like the Muppet movie was obviously way before Labyrinth. Right. Did Jim Henson direct it though? I don't know. I don't remember. We'll ask Phil. He's the expert on this. But yeah. in Phil's mind, this movie is like the the sort of pinnacle of Jim Henson's cinema oh, foray, okay. foray into cinema. Okay. So that's because. Brian Henson directed That's Muppet gotta Christmas be the Carol. reason. Has to be the reason that Muppet Christmas Carol is not what we're talking about in the right. next episode. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how this goes. You don't have a history with this movie. I watched it technically, but in pieces, and I, I don't think I've actually seen the whole thing all the okay. way through. Okay. I never saw it as a kid. Wasn't uh, wasn't a part of my childhood. Um, and this is always risky territory when you've got something that meant something to you as a kid, and then somebody else comes to it as an adult. Looking at it with those eyes. I mean, this isn't the parent trap where it only gets better the older you get when you watch it. Well, it could be. It we could don't be. know. It we could, don't know. It could be. It's not guaranteed. I'm, I say that because the parent trap is typically an anomaly. 
as right, far as that right. goes. It's an outlier. Usually when you revisit stuff that meant a lot to other people as children yeah. and you're an adult, you're going to look like the asshole in that conversation. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so you're fighting look- with somebody's inner child. <laughs> So we're looking forward to that, and uh, watch Labyrinth with us. Mm -hmm. Any questions you have uh, about Labyrinth or Jim Henson or Phil, go ahead and ask him. He's the expert on all those things. Yeah. Well, you might know more about Phil than maybe, but Phil does. He'll suffice. Yeah. When if you have a question about Phil, he can probably answer. It would be too much to sift through and take out all the Phil questions. We'll just (laughs) throw them all to him. Yeah. How how can you get those questions to Phil? Oh, there's a lot. Of, there, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to address your questions to Phil, or share your thoughts on Labyrinth, or your thoughts on Tree of Life. Questions you have for Kelsey? Yeah, any Kelsey questions uh, may or may not get answered. We don't we don't know, but you can send them. Yeah, you can, you can send, send them. them, and there's places to send them. And uh, so send all of your questions or comments or anything that you yeah. have about the show or past episodes or the next episode to uh, feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. That's that's email. <laughs> We've got the website, canwestillbefriends.net, is where all of our shows are posted, so you can see all of our archives there. Leave comments on the website itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, would you like to talk about all the social media options that oh, we have man. on this podcast? I'll talk about all both of them. We've got Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, Can We Still Be Friends Pod. Insta. Or Insta? Yeah. I mean, you can say it either way. <laughs> Typically, you don't need to say it both ways if you've already <laughs> you said do, it one way, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> So we have like a, the younger crowd the, younger that's like, I don't know what this like, Instagram is. I've got is, an Insta. I don't know what Instagram is. Okay. Fair point. Uh, also for our younger crowd, we're on Facebook. Hey, face. Check out your face. <laughs> uh, and type in, uh, can we still be friends podcast? Yep. Uh, look for us there. Questions. Uh, probably DM us or something. I'm sure there's that function there. Yeah. Tell us, youngsters, whether that's a, a function. <laughs> Can you do that on Insta or Face? We'd love to hear. <laughs> and uh, if you would like to get in touch with us the way that the young people love to, you can call us on your phone. Yes, as well. of course. Yes. Uh, pick up that phone and use that uh, use that function. Anyways, uh, give us a call if you'd like. Uh, we've got a voicemail box. The number is 847 and if the phone is not your thing, you hate the phone, uh, you can also, use, well, you still got to use the phone, yeah, but you, you, can, you can use it in a different way to not make a phone call, but you know, re- instead use the voice memo app and uh, record a message there and email it to us with the email address that we provided yeah. a few minutes ago. This might be the longest it's ever taken us to tell people about <laughs> how to get in contact with us. <laughs> uh, well, there's well, just so many ways, yeah, you know. Yeah, a plethora. So, so if you're still with us, thank you. Thank you so much, much for, listening. for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, I would love to also get, you know, any feedback on this new format that yeah. we're doing. Like, is it is it is it working for you? Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun for us, and we any, love it. So. Any questions that you wish we would be asking people about yeah. movies? Because we're trying to figure out how loose to keep it, how how uh, tight a format to to bring to it. As we've said in the last few episodes, we are in uncharted territory. Yeah, never been done. Breaking before. new ground, I yeah. believe, was our was our terminology. Right. So let us know what you think of it. And uh, but in any case, uh, if you've made it this far, uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, for sticking with us, and uh, we'll uh, catch you next time. Catch you next time. Okay.